There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Elaine DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at The Times. Today's topic, politics in a pandemic. Joining us today is Steve Contorno, the political editor at The Times. Steve joined The Times in 2013, starting at PolitiFact and the company's DC Bureau. He moved to Tampa to cover county government in 2015, and joined the politics team during the 2018 midterm elections. He's also covered politics in Virginia, Wisconsin, and Illinois. He's a graduate of the University of Illinois and a Chicago native, so we get a lot of Slack messages about Chicago sports teams. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Thanks for having me. So we were just reminiscing about this recently. Back in February, February, um, you, you all remember February. Um, Steve, Steve and Mike Van Sickler, our state and government editor, held a brainstorm for the 2020 election. It was really good. Everyone was so excited and eager to help out. And then, well, 2020 happened. So um, how hard has it been to get your focus exclusively back on this election? Really hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, we entered the year expecting... 2020 to consume us and the election to be, you know, not only the biggest story of the year, but perhaps the biggest story of our lives. Uh, and then this pandemic came and it not only seized my attention, but it completely derailed the campaign. Um, for a long time, it made it difficult to write the kind of election stories that we hope to tell. Um, it was all hands on deck, obviously, to helping cover the pandemic in the newsroom. And I teamed up with a lot of other uh, departments, you know, to try to make sense of this quickly evolving story that had so many elements to it. You had, um, there was a government response. There was a, a, a you know, there, so there was a, a health response. It, it was just like so many things to wrap your arms around that we had never really tackled before. So uh, I, as we've gotten closer and closer to November though, we've, we've had to sort of, return to those stories, find a way to return to those stories, um, but in a very different lens because uh, the pandemic not only changed uh, our culture and our lives, it changed politics too. So uh, trying to return to those stories through a new lens, not being able to necessarily go out and talk to people, because that was so much of what we had in that in that, in that conversation in February was, let's get out and cover our backyard, our state, let's talk to people, um, let's not rely on polls and pundits, let's really, really, you know, find those who are affected, find those who are voiceless and get out there. And we just, 
And now we're, we're, it's, it's, I'm trying to do it more and more. It's a lot of Zoom calls with, with people in Orlando and uh, wearing masks when you travel to Polk County and, you know, just trying to find a way to do it. Enthusiasm, do you see from the, the regular voters out there? Not that there's such a thing as a regular voter, but. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we saw a really historically engaged electorate in 2018. Uh, there's considerable enthusiasm among Democrats who wanted to respond to Trump the only way they felt they could, which was at the ballot box. So we expected that again this year, not just on the Democratic side, though we thought there were, you know, Trump's base was going to provide a counterbalance. But, but, you know, in my conversations with voters, uh, the coronavirus and, and President Trump's response to it has, has, for many people, hardened and intensified their opinions of the president one way or the other. Uh, so I sense the motivation is still there to vote and to to be in to be uh, active in this election. I think all the political experts and inside people inside campaigns I talk to expect a very high turnout. I do, however, also sort of feel this fatigue and you know internalized conflict over how uh, how to proceed. You know, a lot of those sort of quote unquote swing voters in the middle you know, don't necessarily think Trump has managed this crisis well, but they also don't necessarily support wholesale lockdowns and government making decisions about their businesses and when it can open and schools and, and even things like facial wear sort of cross the, the political spectrum um, from the middle to the left and right. And I'm, I hear a lot of people who, are, who say they don't want to vote for Trump, but they also are concerned over, um, you know, what's the best path forward out of this pandemic. And I don't know how that will manifest itself on November 3rd. It could be a thing where someone on October 31st is voting one way because something happened. And then by November 2nd, they're voting another way. And that's going to be a very small percentage of the population, but it's the population that's going to swing a state like Florida one way or the other. You know, so you were I, you, you were talking just now about um, you know the pandemic and people's response to it. It seems like even though the political year has been thrown off track, everything we've been covering has become political. Mm -hmm. not, not just the pandemics, obviously, but the protests. So everything does it just feel to you like everything that happens anywhere is political now? Is it just the way the world is? Yeah, you know, I put together a newsletter for us every week. Uh, that's quote unquote politics. But, uh, you know, it just touches so many subjects right now that I find myself uh, pulling stories from across the newsroom um, from reporters who cover things that aren't always political. Education right now is extremely politicized. Healthcare, obviously, is very politicized. Uh, public safety uh, with, the, with the protests. Um, it's every, every single reporter, I think, at our paper has written something that in the last six months I've included in our newsletter that is supposedly, you know, a politics newsletter. Um, but that's also one of the things I really enjoy about our approach to covering politics is we do try to make it very people focused and not gearing it towards insiders who might not be as interested in how the Polk County School Board is responding to um, to uh, school reopenings, um, but is very, very close to home. That's like the most close to home you can get for politics for, for many people. 
Are you disappointed um, that you weren't able to cover the conventions? I mean, I imagine that for a political reporter, that's like covering the Super Bowl for a sports reporter, right? And you, you covered them remotely. Like, how, what was that like? And how did you shift to be able to do that in the last minute? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I have only been to one convention. It was the 2012 convention in Tampa, and I wasn't even working for the Tampa Bay Times at the time. So that was my first time here. And uh, it was a really neat experience and certainly a lot going on. And one of the things that I was really excited about to do for, you know, what I love about working for like a regional newspaper like the Tampa Bay Times is that because we're not a national outlet, we can attend a national event like that and we don't have to follow the crowd or the news cycle of the day. We can zig when 99% of everyone else out there is zagging. So that's what I missed was this sort of opportunity to sort of put our own stamp on the event and find stories that not everyone else was covering. Um, and, you know, the way it, the, the campaigns and the, the parties were shifting what they were doing with the conventions to the very last minute. So we really had like no plan going into how we were going to cover it. And I think a lot of it, we just let down to the wires. You know, we had some Florida folks who were speaking and having their moment in the spotlight. So we, we did some profiles of them. Um, but really it was such a, it was something we sort of more, more just observed and absorbed more than really got a chance to report on. And, and I, and I'm sort of wondering if that is a missed opportunity or if that was just the reality of, of how the situation was because um, we didn't really get any sort of behind the scenes access. You know, these conventions, there's so much you see at night if you're tuning in as like a viewer that um, it, it, you think that's the convention, but in reality, there's so much going on during the day. There's, there's junkets and celebrities who are meeting with the various delegations and um, you know, there's, fights over over little minutiae in the, in the platform and and there's protests outside and you know none of that can be captured in in a two-hour zoom call which is what the conventions basically turned into were you watching from your living room yeah i was just watching on my actually i was and i we just canceled cable recently which might have been a, a bad thing we, we did the whole cord cutting thing so i'm just streaming it from you know c-span um, and yeah, sitting there with my girlfriend and, uh, trying to, you know, I like having sort of another person. It was nice having another person there who's outside of politics to sort of watch and see what they react to. Um, because you get in, you know, when you're at a convention, everyone is like a hyper political person. So with my girlfriend, who's, you know, she, she follows it, but she's not necessarily in the game, uh, seeing how she reacts to speeches that, things that resonated with her that I wouldn't have realized uh, would have been effective uh, was kind of an interesting way to sort of uh, watch it this year. Uh, now, I, I seem to recall at a recent uh, Teams meeting that girlfriend has become fiance. Is that right? So, that is correct. Yes. Okay. All right. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That's I got some upside to 2020, right? Right. <laughs> so um, looking ahead to the debates, I mean, what's going through your mind in terms of, you know, how do you think anybody really, but certainly, you know, as, as, as we're approaching it, how, what, how do we make it, what do we do with that? How do we, how, what do we, what's your takeaway? What are you thinking about in terms of how to deliver some coverage besides the fact checking, which I'm sure will be part of everything. Right? Yeah. And I, I can't plug PolitiFact enough. I, 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 like I said, like you said, I work for them and they just do such incredible work on, especially on debate nights, because 
you find the candidates actually repeat themselves a lot. So there's so much material that they've already fact checked and they're just like ready to quick, 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 you know, fact check the stuff in real time. So uh, they do such a fantastic job. But, you know, for the primary debates, we developed this, you know, kind of methodology where we, uh, as a team, watched. Uh, and if something stood out to one of us, we, we called them, quote unquote, moments. Uh, one of us would break off and, and write it really quickly, uh, add context, report it out, link some stuff to PolitiFact if we knew it was out there, and then post it in part of this, like, live running story that we were constantly updating and then you know once you finished that then you returned to the queue and you kept watching until it was your turn again and that that really worked for us our, our audience really liked it and then we kind of went through and layered in some video afterwards and stuff um i think we'll probably do that again uh i'd also like it to be a bit more nimble after the debates where we can uh maybe go deeper on some of the issues that spring up and you know especially if they have a florida angle uh you know during the primary debates, they kind of got very repetitive on every single one talked about climate change and, and the environment and health, the healthcare for all debate and how we're gonna pay for it. It was like the same thing over and over again. It kind of lulled us into sleep. And I realized that we missed some opportunities to take some of the, the fresh debate, you know, Kamala Harris's or Kamala Harris's um, busing critique of, of Biden. We had one of the biggest busing debates of all time in Florida over the Pinellas County school system and the desegregation and resegregation of, of the school system that created the quote unquote failure factories, we could have rehashed some of that reporting and brought that debate between Biden and Harris into a local context. So I'm gonna to try to see if I can find opportunities like that and maybe you know rope in some of the reporters in the room who uh, newsroom who specialize in those areas uh, so something that you know we have that immediate thing for our viewers who are coming our readers who are coming to our website uh, right at during a debate um, to see get that wrap up but then add in that extra sort of heft to the post-debate coverage as well millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary previous things that the candidates have said, you've got it sort of at the ready so that you can respond quickly and provide some context? Yeah. Yeah, if they just did these um, uh, town halls, for example, where you know they, they said a lot of things. And I mean, Trump especially repeats himself over and over um, because that's just how he is as a human. And, and Biden is such a practice politician that he also doesn't veer off script very often, um, or he's been better about it uh, in this election than in the past where he's been known as sort of like his quote unquote gaff prone court, uh, um, candidate. So, um, so yeah, so there's a lot of material that they've said in recent weeks that we should, we're gonna go back to. Um, and hopefully that, you know, puts us in a place of being ready for whatever they have to say. How much fact checking do you yourself have to do versus this team of people that have done a bunch in the past and I know they're live during the, the debates and everything too. How much do you have to do on deadline or beforehand? Or it's really hard um, if you're not familiar with all the material and you and, and having worked at PolitiFact, I really have this, this adverse 
in is internal adversity to to like well why should I can't put this quote in my story when I haven't had the time to fact check it but he also said it and we have to record this stuff for history um, so that is sort of like the internal struggle um, and it, like I, I think like the one thing I that is really useful about especially like our platform for the web is that you can layer in hyperlinks um, and and say and, and say PolitiFact looked at this and gave it a false and and linked to it and and so there is that sort of ability to be a little bit more um, to add that little bit of context um, but you know it's 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 just that the thing in real time where it's on a time crunch you have to think okay is this is this so bombastic that we can't possibly put it in there without understanding the context and and whether or not it's true or is this uh, a political soundbite that is wishy-washy and clearly spin and and uh, just sort of the kind of things that candidates say um, it's it's like this just constant balance that is really really difficult to uh, to execute in real time but uh, but yeah it's I mean, that's that's the struggle that's a perfect segue to a question I went to ask you because I grew up before there were politifact things when I was your age we didn't have that opportunity and we didn't have the hyperlink thing to do but and I did never wanted to cover politics because I thought everybody was always lying to me like it just seems like there's it's so rife for being lied to in that beat like what made you want to cover politics I asked Maria I said is he a sadist <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I didn't want to cover politics originally I was a sports reporter in college uh, and you know I was kind of a political junkie and we were going through this um, really interesting time in politics where Obama was starting to run and, you know, we were coming out of the the, the Bush wars and, and the 20, 2004 election uh, when I was in college. So um, I I was a sports reporter. I thought that's what I was going to do. And then I ended up taking an investigative reporting class and uh, realizing that uh, going to baseball games for the rest of my life sounded like a lot of fun. But um, when you, when I saw the potential of investigative reporting and accountability journalism to not just uh, inform people, but change lives that kind of made some of that other work feel a little bit um, more trivial. Not that I, I don't love reading great sports journalism still, but um, so, and, and then I, I kind of got accidentally put on a path to politics. Um, when I was a senior in, in college, I had two job offers or internship offers, one with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel to, uh, to work in their newsroom. And then the other was to be the cubs.com uh, beat reporter for the summer. And uh, I chose the Journal Sentinel internship, which um, right before summer started, uh, they had a bunch of layoffs and they had to cancel the program. So I ended up uh, having no internship or job lined up after college and put out a thousand applications and including for a grad school program at the University of Illinois Springfield um, that set you up with a six-month internship covering politics in the state house, um, and it was such a cool environment because you can go on the floor of the house and the senate and literally like pull senators and lawmakers off the floor and and ask them questions. And uh, I worked for a, a great reporter in the Chicago Sun Times who really emphasized uh, investigative and watchdog journalism, and and just seeing so being able to combine that sort of um, the investigative and accountability elements of journalism 
um, especially having worked for PolitiFact. I mean, I got I was working in Washington for a little while, and I just got so burnt out by the bubble and uh, feeling like everyone was writing stories for their sources, um, which they are because I was their readers in a lot of senses. And and so I didn't I didn't want to write like that. I wanted to write you know for people. Um, so moving to PolitiFact and being able to call a spade a spade sort of reignited my fire. Um, for political journalism, and, and the Times has always done such like a really good job of of not focusing on the day to day, but being able to sort of take a step back and and add that sort of sweep and floor to focus, and and keep our readers in mind when we're covering politics instead of writing for insiders. So, um, and I, I mean, just being in such a news rich state too, the stakes are so high here. Um, it's it's a competitive press corps. It's 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 a lot of fun day in and day out. Well, let's let's talk about Florida. And if you're in a swing state this year, you know you're probably doing the same thing we are, which is like this mix of excitement and dread. Um, so, um, what do you enjoy about Florida politics? Uh, you know, it, it's it's that deciding role that the state plays and. You know, uh, the entire country is watching us and, and reading us to understand what the heck is happening in this this crazy, diverse, 50-50 state, you know, where you have, even at home in our community, uh, it, sometimes you drive two hours and you feel like you're just in a whole new state. And uh, that sort of, of uh, mashing that all together to come up with like a, a political equation that that determines some who's the president of the country is is really neat and 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 then at home you know our community is relying on us to provide you know insights into the campaign and explain what the heck is going on outside of florida back to them so uh it's just such a news rich state you know i was i have several friends who are freelance photographers uh and there's like three or four of them operating just in the tampa bay area and they are not at loss for work at all. I mean, they're constantly traveling. And, and it's because, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the AP, Reuters, they're, they're constantly writing Florida stories because there's so much going on here. Uh, and all of it, you know, whether it's housing issues or climate change or, um, you know, the pandemic, it all links back to politics all the time. So uh, I, I enjoy connecting those those things together and I enjoy doing that for our readers. I want to ask you about the, uh, the plan for election night because I keep hearing from everybody from my husband to my friends like, oh, I can't wait till this is over. You know, I just can't wait till the election night and it's over. And I keep thinking, it's not going to be over. Like, I have a feeling that no matter what happens, there's going to be some kind of challenge or debate. And I moved here right when the Chad election was happening in 2000. So I remember how exhausted that was to try to cover the aftermath of the undecided election. What, what are your all's plans or contingency plans for when that night, but also sort of afterwards? We got a bit of a taste of that in 2018 because we had three races in Florida that went to uh, recounts. And that really sort of uh, christened me to Florida's uh, crazy electoral nights. Um, so I think we're very cognizant of that fact that this might not land on election night. Um, I think our challenge is less, um, you know, we're, so we're ready. I think we're going to stagger people. We're going to, you know, make sure everyone has enough caffeine. And um, we've also 
the great thing is that we've hired a, an accountability reporter who is solely focused on covering sort of the um, the mechanisms of voting and elections. Uh, her name is Allison Ross, so she's just like extremely prepared for whatever craziness can come up that night. I think our biggest challenge is preparing our readers for there not to be a result on election night and to not let someone like the president suggest that whatever the result looks like at 11 p.m. Eastern time on election night is the result and any votes that are counted afterwards are some sort of attempt to steal an election. Um, we have to explain to people that because of the pandemic, because this is gonna be a very tight race, because of the postal system challenges and the emphasis on mail-in voting, that we might not know who won for several days, weeks, God forbid, months. Um, I do think though, if Florida, which is actually has a pretty strong mail-in voting background, um, and actually has a lot of infrastructure in place for a lot of people to vote by mail. If it's decided on election night, specifically if it's decided um, for Joe Biden, uh, it will, <laughs> Trump has very few paths to victory if, if he doesn't win Florida, Biden does. So if Biden is, wins Florida, then perhaps whatever happens in the rest of the country that isn't handling the election as well as we are, won't matter as, as much because Florida can sort of deliver that first round knockout. But if Florida is undecided uh, and the rest of the country is undecided, if, 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 if Michigan and Wisconsin are having trouble counting their ballots, then yeah, I mean, we're expecting uh, the unexpected. That's kind of just what we have, what we have to be. Do you think people should mail in ballots? Do you trust that? I think people should trust mail-in ballots, but they also should verify their mail-in ballot. And that means getting it in early and then watching it at every step to make sure it's actually counted um, because there are so many ways for your ballot to be not counted. It can be lost in the mail, which is not very common. It could be damaged in some way, or they can throw it out because your signature doesn't match. And so there are just a lot of opportunities for it to not count. So this, there are also, there are so many ways to check ahead of time to make sure it actually counts. And if it doesn't, or it gets thrown out, you can, you can go on election day and fill out a provisional ballot. So I was just gonna say, uh, I assume it's gonna be a long night for Steve, that election night. You'll, you'll, if you're watching Twitter, I'm sure he'll be up all night long. <laughs> right. Um, Thanks for joining us. If you have a question for Steve or for Lane, or you want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Ayana Ishmael. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.